Good morning. Everybody must be ready for a nap. I don't normally have to get nervous because normally nobody's listening to me at the beginning of the service. Welcome here and happy Resurrection Day. He is risen. Let's stand and worship the risen Lord.
Thank you for your singing. risen. If you would like to read the scripture with me, that's in your bulletin. It's from Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6. Let's read together. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. If you would like to bow with me, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can join in celebration this morning. We thank you that you were risen from the dead. That when we put our faith in you, our sins are forgiven, and we have eternal life, and we have an abundant life. And we thank you that we can celebrate that today, and we ask that you guide us in the worship of you. And in your Son, Jesus' name, we give great thanks. Amen. scripture reading this morning, if you uh, want to take a look at it, is uh, from the book of Luke, and we'll be reading chapter 24. We'll be reading chapters 1 through 53, so that will be the entire chapter. So Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day will rise again. And they remembered his words, and returned from the tomb, reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of these things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to be to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early this morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. 
But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened that they recognized him, and he had vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while we, he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. And they were saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, see my feet, that it is, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it, because of their joy and their amazement, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses from these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethsaida, a Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshipping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising God. Pastor Glenn. Thanks, Brad, for reading that. Lord God, we come to this special service today where we celebrate the resurrection. And we're looking at this particular passage, one of four, which gives eyewitness account to the fact that you rose from the dead. Lord, as we look into it and as we celebrate it, as we look at what it means to us, I just pray that you'd help us to catch anew how significant the resurrection is to everything there is in life. No matter what it is we're going through today, the fact that you rose from the dead makes all the difference in the world. And Lord, help us to understand that and catch a fresh glimpse of that significance and that meaning. So help me speak your word that needs to be spoken. Help us all to hear it as you want us to hear it. We pray this in your name. Amen. The story does not end on Good Friday. Some of you were here for a Good Friday service Friday evening. And you know what we looked at on Good Friday when we focused on the crucifixion. And with Jesus being placed in the tomb. But the story doesn't end there. If it had ended with Jesus in the tomb, and he just stayed in the tomb just like anyone else that gets put in the grave there really would be no story at all. Jesus then would obviously be no different than any other human. A good man, but deluded about himself. Not really God, not really the Messiah. He died as a martyr, but his death really wouldn't have had a lot of meaning. We would
wouldn't even have a communion service if Jesus had stayed in the tomb. Because his death wouldn't mean anything. But the story does not end there. After Good Friday comes Easter Sunday. And it's Easter that gives Good Friday significance. It is Easter that proves that Good Friday is significant. It is Easter that gives it all meaning, the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what I'd like to focus on this morning, the meaning. We could go in a few different directions with this this morning when it comes to considering the resurrection of Jesus. We could look at the historical events and facts surrounding Jesus' resurrection that point to the tomb and the empty tomb and point to the truth that Jesus' resurrection is historical fact. We could do that. I've done that in the past. We could focus on debunking the skeptics' arguments against the resurrection. And I've done that in the past. Suffice to say that, <coughs> that the proof of the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus is powerful. And what I'd like to focus on this morning is what does it mean? It is true, it's fact, that's a given, but what does it mean for you and I? So let's look at that passage again that was read, that Brad just read for us, Luke chapter 24, and I hope you were following along and listening carefully as that passage was read. Let's look at it with our minds on the question, what does it mean? What does the resurrection of Jesus mean? It starts off with the account of some of the women going early Sunday morning to the tomb where Jesus had been buried Friday evening. And if you sneak a peek back to 23, last couple, three verses there in, verse, in uh, Luke chapter 23, you would see that the, the women who saw him buried, they had prepared a bunch of spices and stuff, but they couldn't get at the body Friday night. Saturday was the past, uh, the um, was a Sabbath day, so they couldn't go then. So early Sunday morning, then the first day of the week, chapter twenty-four, verse one, they went to do what they had intended to do to better prepare the body for burial with perfume and, and spices, according to the burial practices of their day and time and culture, which they did not have time to do on Friday. And it talks about how they went to the tomb and how they discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the t this cave-like tomb had been rolled away and the tomb was wide open. And they went right inside, but the body of Jesus was not there. So being quite perplexed, wondering what had happened, they were confronted by two men, it says. And we know from reading this and from other accounts that they were angels, that these two angels suddenly appeared in front of them with the most amazing news. In fact, with what has become the most amazing announcement in the history of this world. <coughs> Excuse me. And that announcement, Jesus isn't here. He's risen, just like he promised he would rise from the dead. Don't you remember what he said? <laughs> and then the women kind of, oh yeah, I guess he did say that, didn't he? In all the confusion of the last few days, they'd kind of forgotten about that. And so these ladies ran back to the 11 disciples and told them what had happened. And the other disciples that were with them, the 11 chosen, that being the, the apostles, and the other disciples that were with them. And the disciples, they heard what the women said, but they dismissed their words as coming from distressed and overwrought and emotional women who had become delusional in their grief. Verse 12 tells us, however, that Peter, being Peter, also a guy that he was, he uh, had to see for himself. So he ran to the tomb to look for himself. And we know from John's account of this that it wasn't just Peter. John went with him. Um, but Luke just focuses on Peter. Uh, he looked in the tomb. He saw the wrappings. But the tomb was empty. Nobody there. And he went away perplexed and wondering what had happened. He knew something inexplicable had happened. But at this point, he was still not, not believing that Jesus rose from the dead. So then Luke goes on to tell us about a couple of 
disciples, not the twelve, but of the other disciples who decided to walk to the village of Emmaus. And I'm assuming that at least one of them actually lived there in Emmaus. Luke is the only one who records this story. They were walking along and suddenly Jesus comes and starts walking with them. They didn't recognize him. In fact, it says that they, they were prevented from recognizing him. And so they started a conversation about this Jesus whom they hoped would be the Messiah but now had been killed. And on top of that, some of their women reported that the tomb was empty and the, they saw a vision of angels and said that he was alive. And so these disciples, these two disciples walking there were very confused. Nothing about this made any sense. And this stranger, whom they didn't know was Jesus himself, this stranger began to go through all the teachings of the Old Testament and show these disciples that Scripture taught that Messiah was to suffer and die and after that to enter into his glory. So they're having this discussion slash Bible studies. They're walking along and they get to Emmaus. They invited Jesus to stay with them. And when they sat down to supper, Jesus blessed the meal, broke the bread, and that's when the two disciples recognized the risen Jesus. And as soon as they recognized him, he disappeared. And so these disciples hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus really had risen from the dead. And they had talked with him. Kind of get a kick out of that. They were uh, begging Jesus, who they didn't know was Jesus at that time, to, it's getting late in the day, it's too late to travel, we, you better come and Come and share a meal with us, stay the night with us. But when Jesus revealed himself to him, then disappeared, then suddenly they hoofed it seven miles back to Jerusalem. It wasn't too late to travel then because they had exciting news that Jesus really had risen. They had talked with him. They had to go tell the rest. So they went back to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem and they meet with the disciples, the other disciples. And the disciples there at Jerusalem, they had news too. Jesus had appeared to Simon, or Peter, as well. So more evidence that Jesus had really risen from the dead and was alive. And these two were telling them what they, what they had experienced. And then verse 36 and following, while they were talking, Jesus suddenly appeared right in their midst. Of all the disciples together, Jesus suddenly appears there. And they all see him. And Jesus assures them, that it is really him. He, Jesus showed them his hands and feet, which bore the marks of the crucifixion, invites them to touch him, so they can tell it's not a ghost, it's him, flesh and blood, and bones, and all. He ate with them. And then Jesus had some instructions for his disciples. And so again, going through the Old Testament Scriptures, just like he did for those two on the walk to Emmaus, he goes through the Old Testament Scriptures to show, to show them that Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again on the third day. And now Jesus tells his disciples, this message, this story of the resurrection should be preached to the entire world, starting in Jerusalem, verse 47. These disciples, they're all witnesses of it. They all were with Jesus. They saw him die. They saw him crucified. They saw him risen from the dead. They're all witnesses. Now, go tell everybody. That's kind of what Jesus is telling them. Be his witnesses. You're witnesses to all this. Go tell everybody. So they went out to Bethany after this. And this is obviously, when we look at the entirety of Scripture, this is obviously sometime later where Jesus went out there to Bethany and blessed them, and then Jesus departed. He was ascended to heaven. And the disciples went back to Jerusalem filled with great joy and praising God continually in the temple. So that's the Easter story. Jesus is alive. He didn't stay dead. So what does it all mean? That's what we want to look at. We all need to understand the deep meaning in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can by looking at the implications of the resurrection of Jesus as come out here in this chapter of Luke 24. So three implications I want to look at. Number one, because of the resurrection, it all makes sense. 
Because of the resurrection, it all makes sense. Everything. It all makes sense. All of life. If you take the resurrection away, nothing about life makes sense. Just like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're perplexed. They're confused. It didn't make sense. Nothing made sense to them. It didn't make sense without the resurrection. But when you put Jesus' resurrection into the story, and not only into this Bible story, but into your story, or anybody's story, then it all makes sense. It all comes together when you put the resurrection in there. <coughs> Excuse me. Charles Swindle tells a story about a neighbors of theirs uh, when Charles was just a, just a small boy. Uh, these neighbors were Mr. and Mrs. Roberts. They had met and married both for the first time, but for both of them later in life, after she was beyond, like, she, she was beyond childbearing years. But they met and got married deeply in love. They were very happy together, just the two of them. He was a wonderful, doting husband who loved his wife deeply. She, he was the man of her dreams. He was all that she lived for. He provided much of the meaning for her in her life. In fact, pretty much all the meaning in life she found in him, her husband. One day, though, a sudden and massive heart attack took Mr. Roberts, leaving Mrs. Roberts a widow. And in the weeks that followed the funeral, Charles Swindoll recalls his mother watching every day as Mrs. Roberts left the house to go and visit his graveside. She would spend hours in the graveyard at his graveside, talking, crying, seeking some kind of connection with her departed husband. Each day as she left that lonely house, her despair deepened. She was a good, morally upright woman, but she was not a believer. Charles Swindle's mother had tried many times previous to this to share the gospel with Mrs. Roberts. She was never interested. She had no need for religion. She was a good person and all the happiness most people wish for she had right there in her home with her husband, which she enjoyed. But when he died, all that was left for her was despair. All her meaning in life was gone. She had nothing to live for. All that was left was despair. Nothing made sense anymore. The day came when Mrs. Swindoll said to young Charles, her young son Charles, <laughs> he said, pray for, pray for me and pray that Mrs. Roberts' heart will be open to what I have to say. In a few minutes, Mrs. Swindoll was out of the door with a batch of cookies and a jar of lemonade. And that afternoon, Mrs. Roberts opened her heart to the truth. Jesus rose from the dead. And death does not have the final victory. Mrs. Roberts, though, after this, did not stop, stop going to the cemetery. Because she had noticed other people weeping over and talking to graves, <laughs> to dead people, trying in vain to recapture the relationships that they had once enjoyed. Mrs. Roberts now understood that despair, and now she had a truth that they desperately needed. So with a little New Testament and a few well-chosen words, she went, still continued to go to the cemetery every day, but now she comforted mourners as they wept and offered them the very hope that gave her life eternal meaning, that Jesus Christ lives. Because of the resurrection, friends, it all makes sense. If there is no resurrection, nothing makes sense. 
Because it shows that God is indeed in control and that he has a plan and that everything is on course. And everything that he allows to happen fits into that ultimate plan of his. It all makes sense because of the resurrection. It means your life makes sense. Your life makes sense, friend. The things that are going on right now in your life, if they're allowed by God, obviously they fit into his master plan for you and for the world. You may feel confused because you can't see yet how it's all going to turn out. You don't know. There's no way you can know. But it does make sense. Have faith in that. Jesus' resurrection means that it all makes sense. Jesus' resurrection means that death is not the end. There's more. It means that all the trials and troubles and pain that we or our loved ones are going through is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. There's meaning to it all that will one day become clear. Because the story is not yet over. And even if it ends in death, that is still not the end of the story. It's all going according to plan. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then nothing would make sense. But he did. So it all makes sense. It all means something. So because of the resurrection, it all makes sense. Secondly, because of the resurrection, we have hope. We have hope. As we go through this story of this chapter, um, I hope you caught it as it was read, but you can't help but notice the dramatic effect, the realization that Jesus rose from the dead had on those disciples. Before they realized Jesus had risen from the dead, they were a confused and perplexed and despairing and disillusioned lot. You get it was over. <laughs> like it was over. They were wrong. Jesus was wrong. It was all wrong. What was the sense of going on? That's where they were at after Jesus died. But after they got their heads around the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead, they were entirely different. Now it was all coming together. Now it was all starting to make sense. Deep despair gave way to great hope. The resurrection gave hope. <laughs> humorous to Phil Calloway. He tells a humorous story. Probably told you this story before, but... He tells a humorous story about one Sunday afternoon when he was driving with his five-year-old son, uh, Stephen. And they were driving in the town. They drove past their town's golf course and then went on past the graveyard, the town graveyard. And as they're going past the graveyard, his son noticed a fresh pile of dirt beside a newly dug grave, excavated grave. <laughs> and he pointed out to his dad and said, look, dad, one got out. <laughs> and Phil goes on to say he, he laughed at those words but the more he laughed the more he began to hang on to those words because one did get out one did get out and that's the reason for our hope and joy because one got out Jesus didn't stay in the grave he got out he rose from the dead look at verse 41 well they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement he said to them, have you anything to eat? Notice the joy there, verse 41. Down to verse 52. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. There it is again, joy. Why is there such joy? Because now there's hope. Where there had not been nothing but despair, now there's hope. Jesus is alive. He got out. <laughs> and he's alive, and so there's hope. Later on, Paul would explain what this all means for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, I've preached from that several times over the years on Easter Sunday. 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul explains the meaning of the resurrection. Because Jesus died, death is conquered. 
we too will be raised from the dead. We who have placed our faith in him will be raised to be gloriously changed and live eternally with him. Because one got out, <laughs> we have the certain hope of getting out as well. The grave's not going to keep us. The grave can't keep us if we place our faith in him. We too will be resurrected. We'll get out too. And our loved ones who have placed their faith in Jesus are now in the grave. They too will be getting out. And we will be alive together for all eternity with our Savior and with each other. We have that hope. Because of the resurrection, death is not the end. We have hope. And so we can and we should live our lives in hope, not in despair, not in fear, but in hope. And I'd like to zero in on that fear thing for just a second. It's been dawning on me over the past while. How many people live their lives in fear. Fear of the horrible world around us. How can we raise our kids in this horrible world? I can barely let them out of my sight for fear something bad's going to happen to them. I, I got to keep them in sight 24-7 because of this horrible world. How can I raise kids in this kind of a fear of the internet? So much harmful stuff on there. Fear of political leaders. Fear of the direction of our society. Where are our political leaders taking us? What's Fear of the direction of our school system. How can we put our kids through this kind of school? Fear of the horrible things happening and maybe we'll get, and get dragged into it. Fear of the chaos that will break out and overwhelm us in the whole world. Fear of death. People are living in fear. And, and there's truth to all of that. Don't get me wrong. There's truth to all of that. But Jesus rose from the dead, friends. He is in control. And we have, because of that, a sure hope of a better world awaiting us. We have hope. We can live in hope and not in fear. Fear is never of God. Fear should never captivate and control a Christian. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then yes. Fear would be all that's left. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And so we have hope. We can and we should live in hope and not in fear. Because of the resurrection, we have hope. Thirdly and finally, because of the resurrection, we have a mission. Verse 47. Because he rose from the dead and because the disciples were witnesses of that fact, they had a job to do. Preach this message around the world. And that continues to be the message of Christians today. Telling this story to everyone in the world that Jesus rose from the dead. So they can also place their faith in Jesus. Edith Burns was a, was a lady who had the habit of introducing herself this way. Hello, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And she would then, if the opening was there, explain the meaning of Easter. And many times people would receive Christ as their Savior because she explained Easter to them. Edith was a favorite patient of Dr. Will Phillips. One morning Dr. Phillips went to his office with a heavy heart. And it was because of Edith Burns. When he walked into the waiting room, uh, there sat Edith, her big black Bible open in her lap, and she was earnestly talking to a young mother who was sitting beside her. After being called to the doctor's office, Edith sat down, and when she took a look at the doctor, she said, Dr. Will, why so sad? Dr. Phillips said gently, your lab report came back, and it says you have cancer. Edith, you're not going to live very long. And Edith replied, why? Will Phillips, 
Shame on you. You just told me I'm going to see my precious Lord Jesus, my husband, my friends. You just told me that I'm going to celebrate Easter forever, and here you are having trouble giving me the ticket. <laughs> well, the day soon came when Edith was no longer able to stay at home. She had to go to the hospital. And she told Dr. Phillips, she said, Will, I'm very near home now, so would you make sure that they put women next to me in that room in the hospital who need to know about Easter? Well, they did that. Women came in and shared the room with Edith, and women were saved, one after another. <laughs> Everyone on that floor, from staff to patients, were so excited about Edith that they started calling her Edith Easter. <laughs> Edith Easter. <laughs> this was their nickname. Everyone, that is, except Phyllis Cross, who was the head nurse. Phyllis had been a nurse in an army hospital. She had seen it all. She had heard it all. She did not want anything to do with Edith, that religious nut. One morning, Phyllis had to give Edith a needle. She walked into the room, and Edith had a big smile on her face and said, Phyllis, God loves you. I love you. I've been praying for you. Phyllis replied, well, you can quit praying for me. It won't work. I'm not interested. Edith replied, well, I'm going to pray. I will pray and ask God to not let me go home until you come into the family. And Edith answered, well, then I guess you'll never die because that'll never happen. And she curtly walked out of the room. Every day, Nurse Cross would walk into the room and Phyllis would say, God loves you, Phyllis. I love you and I'm praying for you. And the day came when Phyllis said she was literally drawn to Edith's room like a magnet would draw iron. She went in and she sat down on the bed and Edith said, Phyllis, do you believe in Easter? And then Edith shared with Phyllis her Easter story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what it means. And right there, Phyllis prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. Two days later, on Easter Sunday, Phyllis came into Edith's room. Edith was in bed. Her hands were on her big black Bible. One finger in kind of one spot, another finger in another spot. Sweet smile on Edith's face. And when Phyllis went to pick up Edith's hand, she realized Edith was gone. She had died. Her left hand, her finger in her left hand, was in John 14, verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Her right hand was in Revelation 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Phyllis Cross walked out of the room went over to a table where two student nurses were sitting. She said, hello, my name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? Friends, because of Easter, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a mission. We have a mission to tell people about Easter, of the resurrection and what it means that Jesus did rise from the dead and that through him eternal life is available. And it's freely given when we place our faith in Jesus, realize he is who he said he is, that he actually did die. He actually did, literally, bodily, rise from the dead. He died to pay the price for our sins. He rose to gain victory over sin and death. When we place our faith in Jesus and believe that and repent of our sins, confess them to Jesus, to Jesus, Ask forgiveness. Invite him into our hearts. He will come and be our Savior. And we will have that hope that death is not the end. We will get out. Even if we die before he comes back, we will get out. We have that hope. And now, because of that, we have that mission to make sure everyone that God brings into our lives hears the story of the resurrection of Jesus. As I said, without the resurrection, we would have nothing. 
With it, we have everything. We have meaning. It all makes sense. When you put the resurrection into the story, everything about life makes sense. By that, I don't, I'm, I don't mean that we will understand why the why about everything. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that because of the resurrection, this life is not the end of the story. God has a plan, and he is working to bring it out. The fact that he rose from the dead proves that. And so there's sense to it all. We have meaning because it all makes sense. We have hope. <laughs> As Phil Calway's son said, one got out. <laughs> Jesus got out of the grave. The grave couldn't hold him. Because of that, death will not hold any of us who have placed our faith in him. We will get out of the grave. We can live with hope and not fear. And thirdly, we have a mission. We have a job to do. People need to know the meaning of Easter. And we have that. God has given us that job. We have that job to do. So that's why Easter Sunday is the biggest celebration of it all. This is what it means. It's the greatest event to ever take place on planet Earth. And the implications are profound. So let's celebrate, friends. It's Easter Sunday. Let's celebrate the hope, the joy, the meaning, the mission. Let's celebrate. I'd like you all just to bow your heads. And just, let's just have a moment of silence. Just to allow you to open your heart to God and listen to what, what is God saying to me this morning personally. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to think about this. He died, but he rose again. And so he can offer forgiveness and cleansing to each one of us who repent and ask forgiveness and invite him into our hearts. If you've never done that, please do that today. It's what it's all about. If you're here and you have done that, what's the meaning here for me? I'll just give you a few moments to listen to what God is saying to you personally. Amen. Music team, please.
Thank you for your singing. 